Blog Talk Radio. After the death of Solomon, God divided the kingdom of Israel into two houses. There were ten tribes in the northern kingdom known as the Lost Tribes of Israel. They were cast out into the world because of their great sin against God. However, God promised in the last days He would gather these lost tribes back to Israel before the return of our Lord. Unknowingly, some of the churches made up of these lost tribes known as the house of Ephraim. God is now calling them to prepare to come back home to the land He gave our fathers. The call to prepare has been sounded. Ephraimites and Shalom. This is your host, Mark Reinbold, and this is the House of Ephraim show today. We do have with us from Mount Carmel, Illinois, Prophet Tom Deckard. But first, a word from our announcers. And now, from Cradle of Hope are some important announcements for you. This month, from Cradle of Hope is a must-have gift offer, the transition of the church. God has transitioned the church since the days of the book of Acts. Don't miss out on this last and greatest move of God. Jesus Christ is returning for a church full of power and glory. This transition will bring the church forward. Send a gift of $25 or more. Call today and get free shipping if you ask for the Transition of Church gift offer. Call 618-262-2810 or go online at jewishprofit.com. Send a gift of $25 or more and ask for the Transition of the Church gift offer. Hey, welcome back in this show. It's Mark Reinbold. Got a couple announcements to make before we get going here with our great, great show we have in, in store for you. I just want to remind everyone that we do have a website, www.jewishprofit.com. That's www.jewishprofit.com. And for all you uh, new people out there, maybe the first time that you've been on, please check that website out. You're going to find out who we are, and you're going to get a hold of a lot of material that you've never seen before. And you want to check that material out because you're going to start to learn the Word of God. And I'm telling you what, what a great opportunity that is. We also have a quarterly coming up here, and you can get more information about that by clicking on the itinerary button on the front page there in the upper left-hand corner and find out what the quarterly and where it's going to be. It's going to be over in Fairfield, Illinois, out what we call lovingly the Corn Patch. And you can be a part of that and begin to learn the material straight from the throne room of God and I'm telling you what, that is a great opportunity, folks. So grab a hold of this and begin to prepare and to plan and get yourself down here and find out for yourself what's going on, and you can become part of this last day move of God, the House of Ephraim. And again, you can get all that information out at the website, www.jewishprophet.com. We also have fellowships available online. So, you know, if you're out there and you don't have a local fellowship or, or you want to begin to learn about the material and begin to plug in with the material. Not only do we have this blog every day, but we also have fellowships available online. That's via Ustream.tv, and we have one on Friday night. I teach one myself Friday night. You can become part of that. There's also a Wednesday midweek service, and we teach only the prophet's material so that you're assured of learning the right material at the right time. What an opportunity, again, that all is. So, again, if you don't already have a fellowship in your area or you just are interested in learning more about what's going on, please consider joining up with that. And you can get more information just by emailing us at cradle at jewishprofit.com. That's cradle at jewishprofit.com. And just say, hey, I'd like to sign up for that Shabbat service that Mark was talking about and certainly love to get you hooked up. If you want to do it just by the telephone, we can do that also. And you can give the office a call. 618-262-2810 and find out more about that also. Like I said earlier, we do have with us from Mount Carmel, Illinois, Prophet Tom Decker. We're studying the purpose of temptation, the very purpose of temptation. And I think that by now that most of us have probably decided that maybe there's something good that comes out of all this seemingly hell that sometimes we go through. And that's what we're wanting you to begin to understand in depth of what Paul had written in the first uh, uh, Corinthians in the 10th chapter. If you will turn there, 
Now, that's 1 Corinthians 10. We will begin to read in the 13th verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Uh, and, of course, Paul also made a statement about the fact that we were to rejoice in all things. And as I uh, had mentioned previously, I had found that very difficult uh, for me to understand in my early walk with Jesus. How could you rejoice when the things that were coming into our lives in a lot of cases seemed like pure hell? How could you rejoice in the midst of that? Well, obviously, Paul knew something that, that uh, some of us, including this, this, uh, uh, this man, didn't know and uh, soon was to find out. And it shocked me to find out the purpose of temptation. And as I began to sit down and to study so that I could understand it, I was totally amazed at what I, and obviously probably what countless numbers of us have missed and what God is trying to do. Now, we studied last week and we showed you scripturally that God tempts no man. Now, don't, now we don't want anybody to have any misconception about what we're teaching here. Uh, I've had people come up even after saying this. I, I've, I've taught this for a number of years, and I've, I've taught it in a lot of churches. I used to evangelize the churches at night and teach in the daytime and have teaching stations, and we'd go through this kind of stuff, and ultimately enough, somebody would come up and say, well, I just can't believe that God would tempt you. And I said, well, uh, where were you at? I said, darling, I went through all this all week. I said, and almost every station, I'd make such a point to make sure that people would understand. But, you know, uh, the wild thing about us, our, uh, our understanding is that we usually only hear what we want to hear. Amen? That's the wild part of our understanding. And uh, I know in my case, I've sat through uh, uh, countless uh, teaching uh, uh, stations or seminars and and uh, bless God, I come out of there and, and I've got my, my mind going in one direction. And maybe there was all this to have learned, but I just learned over here. That's the reason we keep saying it's important, if you're interested in these teachings that we do, that you get these tapes and you keep them so that you can study them and go over them because there's a lot of things that I'm sure that we're doing here that you won't catch the first time through that uh, if you'll listen and go back and study, sit down with your Bible, your concordance, and, and go along with us that you'll probably be amazed at the things that you can pick up outside of this. But anyway, as we begin to study, and this is our fifth in this uh, series, uh, as we begin to study, we begin to find out that the temptation of which the children of Israel went through when they wandered around in the, in the, in the, in the wilderness. Now, as I taught you or told you, that wilderness uh, area that they were in on foot, you could walk across in 10 days on foot. Uh, now, this is not something I've personally gone and, and done. This is something I've read about. But uh, uh, they, anyway, took 40 years. I'm certain whether it's 10 days or 40 years, uh, you could walk over there a lot quicker than 40 years. So um, they spent 40 years wandering around out in the wilderness. And that's the reason we I use that for the base of this, so that you could begin to understand that God was trying desperately to do something in them. That's what temptation is all about, is God is permitting us to be tempted. He's not tempting us, but permitting us to be tempted so that we can be aware of ourselves and understand that God wants change in our lives. That's what it's all about. And if we'll be able to open or expand our carnal minds enough to be able to see and just a little bit of what God's trying to do, it'll make such a difference in the long run in our lives. Now, we gave you a formula. Now, if you haven't uh, written this down, you may like to do so. Uh, that the, I call it the law for provision. And the law for provision uh, works like this. God gives us a promise, and this book is full of promises. Thank God that it is. But every promise is linked to a condition or a principle. And every time there's, it's linked to a condition or a principle, then it's followed by a problem or a temptation leading to the provision. In other, words, in other words, the Word of God, the promise that's there in the book that's on most of your laps this morning, isn't an automatic shoe-in, if you will. It's just, just automatically you're not going to be able to receive. Automatically you're not going to be able to receive that just because you read it. All right? Now, let's, let's, let's think about that for a minute, uh, simply by looking at the fact that the Bible teaches, by His stripes ye uh, were healed. And now, obviously, that's in the past tense, and you were healed by the stripes that Jesus took at the cross. Now, there are a lot of 
full gospel, Pentecostal uh, people that, that, that believe, that bless God, that that's all that you have to know is that by His stripes you were healed and say, I accept that and that's mine. Now, that's true. But at the same time, then you have to go into that 11th chapter of, of, uh, of Mark, into that 23rd uh, verse, and you have to begin to read and understand that, that you have to do what? You have to be able to, to believe it in your heart and speak it out of your mouth if that mountain is going to be removed. So you see, it's conditional. There's a condition that is always put there with that. And, and the only way to know if that's going to work, because as I taught you by the Word of God, temptation is only real if there is a possibility for failure. It's only real if there's a possibility for failure. If there's no possibility for failure, then the temptation isn't real. It's just, it's just uh, something that's going by. And all of us can say, well, uh, Pastor Tom, I'll guarantee you what, uh, we have been in enough situations where it was real enough for the failure part, okay? And I think we all can, uh, can agree to that. But you do need to keep in mind that the Lord God has made provision for you and I, and that's what we're going to get into somewhat this morning. Now... The temptation of Christ would not have been real uh, in itself if there hadn't been the provision uh, for failure there, and of course, uh, or the possibility for, for failure. And uh, we have gone through that. I don't know in this series we haven't, but we realized that after he was fasted or had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, that uh, then uh, the devil came and tempted him. He came and tempted him. And that's uh, important that you understand how he handled that temptation. Let's look into Luke, the second chapter. Luke, the second chapter. And in order for this to be real meaningful, of course, it's, it's difficult to get in the middle of uh, one of these studies. I'm not realizing where we probably have come th- from uh, uh, even the week before, uh, but um, hopefully this will be meaningful to those of you that have come in and not able to know what we have studied in the other four weeks. Uh, now, in uh, Luke, the second chapter, the 40th verse, now that's Luke uh, 2.40. The Word of God says here, And the child grew and was waxed, and waxed strong in the Spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, in the 46th verse, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them, uh, and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now, Christ knew the Word, and when tempted, overcame by the Word. All right? Now, you need to know that. Now, here, again, you'd have to get back over to that 40th verse and understand that the, the child grew being Christ and waxed and became strong. That word wax just simply means became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, which is the Word of God, and the grace of God was upon him. It was all there. It was all there. But now, you realize something, too. Um, He grew. The child grew. The child grew. It didn't just happen to him overnight. It grew. Uh, Just like your wisdom in the Word of God has to grow. I've had people get in healing lines and say, uh, Pastor Tom, uh, just pray that God give me all wisdom. Well, I pray all day with you for that if you really want me to. But you see, that still won't give you all wisdom. Wisdom comes through the Word of God, by the Word of God, by the Word of God, by the Word of God. Uh, that's the reason, again, there's not any instant laying on of hands that causes us to instantly uh, to, uh, to be so spiritual in areas that we're wanting to be spiritual in. Uh, so I keep saying spirituality will come after scripturality takes over and gets it from your mind into your spirit, man. You'll become uh, spiritual and you'll never know it. Uh, not really. Because of why? Because in order to reach that, you're going to have to go through the areas in which we're teaching here in this study, which is uh, a lot of temptation is going to have to come in your lives. Why? Because, again, as we studied, and I want to do that for those of you that may not have been with us last week and Mark the fourth chapter. Uh, in the fourth chapter of Mark in the 17th verse, it simply says here, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Or that word offended means stumbles. Uh, the affliction and persecution arises for the word's sake. The more the word of God that you're trying to walk in and are responsible for, the more persecution you're going to find is going to come to you. Uh, again, the reasoning behind that, and I've had a lot of people after the study would come and say, but I don't understand why, why this would have to happen. Well, it, it's just this simple. Once you are saved, born again into the kingdom of God, you are lost for eternity to the devil. Okay, he's lost you. 
Now, most people think that when that happens, well, we've got it made, uh, uh, and you do. Uh, after you cross over into eternity, you have, that, have it made. The problem is, is what are you going to do from that point that you have received Christ into your heart and having it made for eternity with the Lord God to the point of when you go over into eternity, all right? Now, the Lord God uh, gave, made provision for us, and the Lord said, He said, I'm not going to leave you. He said, it's expedient that I go away, but He said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. He said, I'm going to give you uh, a comforter, meaning the Holy Ghost, that is going to lead you, is going to guide you, uh, going to teach you into all truth, into all, into all truth. Now, when that happened, and it did on the day of Pentecost, when uh, we read there in the second chapter of, of, uh, of Acts, we find out that the, the Holy Ghost came to earth. Now, we have now at our very, if you will, fingertips, it's not actually that way, but the way that we'd understand it in, in the world anyway, the, the, the practical application of now being able to receive the very power of God right here on the face of this earth and have all prosperity and all health and all peace and all joy right on down the line right here on the face of this earth before we cross over into eternity where we've got it made, okay? Uh, we can have it here and we can have it now. Now, the devil knows that. Now, the devil, as I'm always saying, does not belly up just because you get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, and speak with other tongues. Now, a lot of people get to thinking he does, but he doesn't. He doesn't just decide that, well, you know, well, uh, uh, there they are. Well, see, he didn't do that with Christ. Christ came. Of course, he didn't know he was Christ. He looked, and we'll do a study one of these days about the fact of how he looked after the first Adam. He knew that there would be a second Adam. He knew that. But the fact of the matter was, he just didn't know who, and he kept looking. I no doubt he, he would have had to have thought at a point in time that it was, was Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and right on down through the line, because they were uh, mighty men of God that, that, that no doubt possessed within them the wisdom and knowledge, of somewhat anyway, of the working of the Spirit of God. But uh, the fact of the matter is, when Christ came along, uh, um, he tempted him. You know, and even though, thinking maybe he was that second Adam, he still tempted him. So you see, that doesn't move the devil. Being a Christian doesn't move the devil. Now, when you learn to take the Word of God through the name of Jesus Christ, as I'm always saying, place it right between his little beady eyes, that moves the devil, okay? That moves the devil. It's the Word of God that moves the devil. It isn't you being a Christian that moves the devil. In other words, you are still, you are still uh, in a place of being able to be tempted, you're in a place of being uh, uh, fallen into temptation. Uh, you're in a place that, bless God, that, that, that can be at times very vulnerable uh, until you learn the Word of God and get the Word of God into your spirit or into your heart, man. So um, as, as we begin to study and begin to understand, then, that we have the right, we have the very right to take the Word of God and to be more than overcomers right here on the face of this earth before we pass over into that uh, eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we must learn what we have, and we must learn to use what it is that we've been given. We must learn that. Now, uh, again, the devil is not going just because you uh, decide to become a Christian, filled with the Holy Ghost, speak in other tongues. He's not just going to say, that's it, I give up. No, he's going to then turn a whole different direction, okay? He knows the Word of God. How many knows that? That the devil knows the Word of God. He quoted Jesus, the Word of God. He said, is it not written... And, and then he quoted the Word to Jesus. He knows the Word of God. I've often said this. It doesn't uh, make for popularity, I don't think, from the pulpit. But the devil knows more Word than most, most Christians know. Uh, because he quoted the Word of God. He knows the Word of God. He was the most beautiful cherubim that the Lord God ever created until he pulled that, that boneheaded deal that he pulled. And then he got himself and the third of the angels kicked right on out of heaven. Uh, but he was there. And he was there. He walked upon the stones. He was there. And the fact of the matter is, he knows the Word. So uh, he knows within the Word that affliction and persecution ariseth for the Word's sake. He knows that. And every time that you decide that you're going to live by the Word of God, he goes before the Lord. I, I just told you that the Lord God tempts no man, the Bible said, as we studied last week. He goes before God, and he says, mm -hmm. Now there's old Mary, whatchamacallit down there, that decided it's going to be healed by your stripes. I, think she, I don't think she believes that. You let me tempt her. You let me tempt her, and I'll go down there and I'll show you, just like I showed you with, tried to show you with Job, but I'll go down there and I'll show you, God, that as a matter of fact, 
As a matter of fact, that when that temptation comes, that she won't believe the Word of God, she'll go under. Now, that one day we're going to find out that that's pretty close to the way it all works. I'm not going to say it's exactly the way it all works, but I, well, it's going to be close. It's going to be close. If you'll study the way God and Job handled that situation, um, uh, uh, then you'll find out the devil and what part he played within that. You understand that God's no respecter of persons. And, and as a matter of fact, that hedge was up around Job. And when, when the devil said, Lord, you let the hedge down, and I'll just show you what old Joby boy down there believes and what he don't believe. He won't near have the mouth on him about praising you the way he, the way he does. I said, look at him. The richest man on the face of the earth. Look at all the servants. Look at all the cattle. Look at all the camels. Look at all, everything he's got. Well, he don't have no problems. You let the heads down. You let me down there and smack him one time. And then let's find out I, what he says. He won't be nearly. So what happened? Then Job was thrown into temptation, wasn't he? But we also know that, the, that Job came out of it with more than he had when he went into it. When it was all over. Why? Because hey, he did never denied God. He never denied God. He stayed. He stayed within the boundaries of the Word and the, and the law of God in that day. So you and I must understand, again, as we decide that we want to grow up in the Word of God, that the devil is going to try, he is going to desperately try to keep us from growing up. Because, my brothers and sisters, if in fact you should grow up in the Word of God, you will become a very, very dangerous tool to the devil. You'll become very, very dangerous to him. Because, as a matter of fact, when you grow up in the Word of God... And the people that are around about you see that you uh, are working the works of God through the name of Jesus Christ and not just always talking about it. Come on. Hmm? Not always just talking. We've got a lot of talkers about what God can do this and, oh, God can do that. And then all the time we're standing there talking about what God can do, these people are standing back and they're looking at us and going, well, if He can do so much, why is your life such a mess? Why, why, is it, why haven't you got your act put together if God so much? You're talking about God doing this and God... What about you, see? And, that, and, and that's what a lot goes on within and without the church, is people, they look at our lives, and then they, they, they say, well, if He's such a great God, then what's wrong with your life? One minute you're running off about uh, with faith, and the next minute you're shooting doubt and unbelief out of your mouth. How can, he be, how can it be a God of both? And a lot of people don't understand that. But again, as I keep preaching and teaching to you, the world, this city, is waiting to see Jesus Christ manifested in you and I. And not, not uh, so much that's the reason I keep saying I'm not concerned about working the works of God. I've, I've worked the works of God for a number of years now through the name of Jesus Christ. My full intention of being here is to teach you how to work the works so people can see Christ in you. They can see Christ in you. They come and see God work miracles through me. That's no big deal. As I said, He's done that for a number of years. But what, what we're wanting is the fact of the Lord God to be working through you in such an extent that people can see and understand that, that He's God. They can glorify Him because it is to His glory that it all works anyway. Amen. Uh, let's go on. Whenever sin or confusion reigns, uh, Satan always has an open door. And you need, if in your note-taking, you need to be sure that you uh, emphasize that. You, you, need to, you need to emphasize that. Whenever there's sin or confusion, and when it's raining in your life, and I don't mean R-A-I-N either, when it's there and it's going on in your life, there's an open door, an absolute open door to the devil. Now, we're going to give you some areas here. Uh, that most of us will be either in a greater or a lesser degree uh, tested in. And if you want to write these down, I'll try to repeat them. Uh, the number one thing uh, that I put down is sexual immorality. Now, these are areas, and we're going to give you some scriptural evidence here in a minute that these are uh, true, but uh, you need to put sexual morality. Now, these are areas in which all of us, must be tested in in a greater or lesser degree. Now, there are some of us don't have any problems with, with uh, sexual immorality. There's, uh, as we have seen nationally um, over the, uh, the last uh, two or couple years by now, that we are finding out that some of those that we have gotten our eyes on, some of that place we've had our eyes on, uh, we have been appalled at the fact that there was sexual mor mor immorality working within those people's lives. But here again, you want to understand something that that is a real temptation. Ministry. I sat down with ministry, and I began to teach ministry that uh, your place within the ministry to understand that the devil is going to try to stop you from being an effective tool to the body of Christ. 
The devil's going to start. He's going to try to. And these are areas in which he will try. Okay? Sexual immorality. The second one is greed. The love of money. The third one is pride. Ego problems. I'm going to give those again now. Sexual immorality. Greed. The love of money. Uh, pride. Which is ego problems. Now, David obviously is a, is a good example of the sexual immorality thing. Uh, there's others, but uh, his weakness happened to be that. That was his weakness. I hope that all of us here in this room today do understand that we all have weaknesses. Somebody please say amen. We all do. From this pulpit back, from the national pulpits back, it makes no difference. There is nobody that totally has their act, if you will, put together totally. Now, they may act like it. They may talk like it. But if, if the day was there that you stood with the Lord God and saw their life before them, I'm sure then you would know. And in some cases, we know before then. But there are all, all of us have weaknesses. Some of us are, don't have a weakness in this thing that I'm talking about now with sexual immorality. There's others who have weaknesses with pride, with ego problems. Others of us have weakness uh, in many other areas. But the fact of the matter is, this just happened to be a weakness of David. And it was a, it was a weakness. David yielded uh, to the temptation of Bathsheba. He yielded to that. He didn't have to. When he saw her on over the way taking that bath, he, all he had done was close the curtain and say, well, somebody needs to call the, you know, call the indecent exposure company and have them go over and arrest that woman. See? But no, they, no, no. See, he let that take root, and that didn't just take root then. That thing happened and was there years back. I want you to understand that. People come to be delivered. Come into this church and the one over in Illinois and places that I go, and they, they want to be delivered. People that have problems with depression, people that have problems with suicidal spirits, those things did not happen just that afternoon before they got to church. Most cases, and I will say this and not knowing David, obviously, but most all cases, well, let me get it down to all the cases that I have known, which have been a number of them in these years, those things don't take place but way back, sometimes way, way back when they were kids way back when they were children, and maybe they're 45, 50 years old, 25, 30 years old, back when they were 4, 5, 6, 8, 10, 12 years old, 15, 18 years old. They, 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 happen, they happen there, and then they, they do what? See, these things just don't go away. It's like a woman came to the house here a few months ago and said her son was involved in witchcraft. Said he brought a butcher knife downstairs and was going to kill me and, and the rest of the family. Because the devil told him to do it. And she said, he finally got calmed down, and she said, I went up into his room, and he had, there was that pentagram, and he had those candles, and he had a satanic Bible in his room. And I looked at her, and I said, hmm, well, sister, I said, how come that's the first time you've ever been in his room? You act like, you act like his room had moved to California and just came home for the weekend, and you happened to go in it. I said, isn't that room attached to your home? Yes. I said, well, then in the name of Jesus, I said, you ought to be going in. See, moms, moms, you ought to be going in them rooms. I know them kids ought to be taking care of them rooms. But if you don't have to even go in and clean them, you ought to go be in and praying in them rooms every day. Go in them rooms, pray in them rooms. Praise God, sick the Holy Ghost on them every day. Ought to be doing that. And she didn't bother to go in. And she said, well, she said, I don't think there's anything I could. She said, I don't think there's any such thing as the devil. And the first thing I did, I said, where do you go to church? She said, I'm a Catholic. I said, well, I said, uh, you need to read your Bible then because I said, the devil's real. I said, the devil's real. There really is a heaven. There really is a hell. And, and Satan and all his demons are, are here. And I said, they're being effective in the, in, the, in the realm of darkness. And she said, well, she said, uh, I want to know something. She said, now, she got my phone number uh, from somebody here in Evansville. Now, this woman lived in Mount Carmel. And uh, she said, uh, uh, what do you suggest we do? And I said, he needs the devil cast out of him. He needs that spirit of witchcraft cast out of him in the name of Jesus Christ and set free from it. Right. And she looked at me and she said, oh, I don't believe in that. I said, well, I don't care what you believe in. But I said, I'm going to tell you something. That's not going to just go away. You know, we teach and try to teach in depth to you that every word that comes out of your mouth is planting a seed somewhere in somebody's life or in your own life. 
And if you're not careful, if you're not careful and you plant the wrong seeds, and how many understands that there, there is no such thing as crop failure, that what you sow, ye also are going to reap. Hmm? Now, you can pray and be forgiven for it, and you better to get your relationship right with God and keep it right with God, but you still see that you're still answerable for that sin. Now, a lot of the church doesn't want to agree with that, and a lot of the church world don't want to accept that, but I got news for you, and I'm about to show you here with David. It worked there, and, it is, and you say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, the, it, we can show you again in the, in the New Testament, a likewise matter of which sin is still sin. And you're still going to answer. You're still going to reap what you sow. Now, uh, with this thing with uh, uh, this woman, got to talking about then that how this began. Now, this boy of hers was some 15 years old, but when he was 10, he began to buy all these satanic uh, records that was on the market, and he began to play those things day and night, and, uh, and he began to read all the things that he could get his hands on about the devil. Now, understand something. What's he doing? He was planting within his spirit man, within his mind, Satan. All right? Then he got involved with a, with a person that was working in witchcraft. And then he got into, the, into a, a, a group... Uh, of, of uh, a coven, if you will, and they were sacrificing animals and drinking the blood of animals all to the devil. Now, see, a lot of people uh, look at me like a dog looks at a new dish, all right, when you play it down there to feed them. They don't know what to do with it. But these things are real. They're going on in this world today. These are things that, bless God, just are not going to go away. That's the reason that I uh, uh, said for years I got in some of the Pentecostal churches that didn't believe in casting out devils out of Christians. And yet I, I'd go there and I'd minister and we'd have healing lines and, and people come up and they'd have as a suicidal spirits and have spirits of depression. And I'd cast them out of them in the name of Jesus Christ. And in uh, two or three weeks, they still was all right. Two or three months, is all right. In some of the cases, I get back around seeing them. There's been, uh, been eight, nine, ten years now. They're still all right. Now, you bind them up. Now, what we got into in the church was we got binding, we got binding, we got binding. What we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven in the name of Jesus Christ. We bound the Spirit. But you see, when you tie that Spirit up, that Spirit's going to come loose. All you're doing is binding for a season. Now, if you're uh, capable of binding every day uh, and doing it and doing it right every day, I guess that would work. But that does not eliminate that does not eliminate that devil or that demon from your flesh, man, or your mind. I didn't say your spirit. Your spirit is incorruptible. All right, it is sealed for eternity with Christ. But it's your it's your mind. Uh, Paul said the renewing of your mind by the Word of God that has to take place. It's your flesh, man. It's your flesh. Paul said, I find nothing good in my flesh. And here's a man filled with the Holy Ghost and did the works of God like most preachers will never know to do in the name of Jesus Christ. So there's something to all that. So I had those preachers come to me and say, we don't, do, we don't believe in that in this church. I said, well, I won't do that anymore then. I said, I didn't know that. Usually I'll sit down and talk with them. I'll say, now, I cast out devils out of Christians and non-Christians. Now, if you don't want me to do that, you tell me. See, I don't believe in walking behind some preacher's uh, a pulpit and trying to come and give a whole new revelation to the congregation because the, that preacher's not doing it right. God didn't set me or anybody else on the face of the earth to do that, as a matter of fact. He did that through this Word. Amen? He did that here. So it's not up to me to go to somebody's church and so I can sneak in there and give them some great revelation that God gave me to straighten them all out. No, no, that's the same old story. You can drag that donkey to the water and trough all day long. You can get a come along and you can suck him right on over there, a cracker and pull him over there. You can get a weighted thing and stick his head down in that trough. You can drown him. He won't, he won't drink if he don't want to drink. Amen? And besides that, Paul said, don't offend him. Didn't he? He said, they, don't believe, they believe in not eating that, uh, uh, that sacrificial meat. He said, they don't believe in eating that. Don't eat it. Don't offend them. Don't offend them. Why? Because God said that he'll take care of them. Hmm? God said it's not by spirit. It's by the spirit. It's not by might. It's by the spirit. It's by the spirit. It's by the power of the spirit, not by the power of our what? Ourselves trying to do something. Okay, David, anyway, what David did was... Uh, he didn't perish with a problem, and that's important for you to understand. You can study that if you want to. It's in the Bible. But uh, because, uh, if you'll remember, he sent uh, um, uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to the front, 
and had him killed so he could have, uh, you know, free goings-ons with old Bathsheba. And, of course, she came up pregnant. And then along come the prophet, didn't he? And the prophet come along, and I mean, I mean, just flat smack put the word right on old David. I mean, put it right on him. And old David uh, did one thing very, very important that we need to understand is that he acknowledged before God that he had sinned. Now, that's what David did that was so important. That's what David did that was so important. Now, I want, I want you to follow along here with me because uh, I want to show you I want to show you how repentance, how repentance is the very root for you to be set free, set, set free within your temptation, within your temptation if you fall, fall into it, all right? I mean, if it overtakes you, maybe that's a better way of putting it. Now, of course, now we understand that Bathsheba's uh, uh, first wife, uh, first wife, first child, David's wife, Bathsheba, and what his first one, uh, that baby died. Now that that's you know the people oh that's the God of the Old Testament. Well you don't. But you see we're still concerned now with now faith is we're still trying to get the people. See we we got the coming of the Messiah the second time coming right in this generation to the face of this earth right out of the east going to bust that eastern sky wide open and going to come in this generation in my generation most of your generation going to come and we're still trying to get the church. To love the Lord thy God with everything on the inside of them, and to love the neighbor as you love yourself. We're still there. We're still the same place that Paul was preaching and teaching in uh, 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 years and years and centuries and centuries ago. We're still there. I don't think the church has uh, actually proceeded uh, much from that, uh, that place that Paul was at. And the reason I don't, oh, well, yeah, you can look out front. We're not riding on donkeys. Uh, we got cars out here in the parking lot. Most of us, some of us are in bondage to those things too. But, but the fact of the matter is, we've not come so far. We've not, we've not actually uh, gang busted ourselves into uh, a place of the Spirit with the Lord God as, as we probably should need to do. So therefore, we need to keep teaching. But I, I do believe that the depth of teaching is going to keep coming. And I believe it's going to keep coming because I believe that we in the church, because we are that generation upon the, whom the ends are written, are going to have to get educated enough in the Word of God and get away from the flow of the Holy Ghost goosebumps trying to guide us and make sure it's the Word of God that is guiding us. Amen? Amen. Now, Judas, and we're going to use this one for the love of money. Now, Judas is... Uh, is you stop and think about those 12 disciples for a minute. Who is the one that you would have most likely thought that had been the one for the money? Hmm? Uh, the, been the one that had the love of money. Well, it had to have been Matthew the tax collector, okay? Or the ex-tax collector, if you will. But, I mean, there that man handled money and he knew about money. And if there was anybody that was going to betray uh, for money, I, I would have thought, and I've, I've spent a lot of time meditating about this, and, of course, it didn't happen, but he would have been my pick. If you'd have lined the 12 up, the, the big fisherman right down the line, and I'd say, hmm, hmm. And the Lord said, now, which one of these discern, Deckard? Which one of these? I'd say, oh, it had to be Matthew. I said, it just had to have to be Matthew. Well, he was a likely one. But now I want you to know, understand the difference. I want you to understand the difference. But the love of money wasn't in his heart. It was in Judas's heart. You understand that? It was in Judas. The love of money was in Judas's heart. Money's not evil. It's the love of money. It's the love of money that is. And, and, and so anyway, because of the love of money, of course, it, uh, it got the, our Christ betrayed, which was written, was prophesied, and it was going to happen, and it did. Next thing happened, of course, Judas, he, uh, uh, he kind of got himself a, a quick demise over the whole deal because of his actions, but it was because of his actions it was there in his heart to do. Now, pride or an ego problem, uh, seemingly, again, uh, the Bible teaches us that that pride cometh before the fall. I think that pride probably is the one of the biggest culprits uh, within the destruction of our walk with Jesus Christ in general. If we'll stop and give it any kind of thought at all, it, it went on back, and we're going to show you back in the 15th chapter of First Samuel uh, where it was working very, very strongly there, and it's still working very, very strongly today. Our pride never wants to be wrong. Amen. You never, we never want to be wrong. I, I, I found, uh, not easily did I find, 
But I finally found in my life that until I could judge myself according to this Word and not who I thought I was, who I thought I was, but who I truly am in this Word, did things change in my life. We all want to place ourselves, want to place ourselves just about this much higher with the Lord God than we really are. Now, is that good? Well, to an extent, yes, because if you didn't, you need delivered. Some of us need delivered up here from this ego or pride thing, and then others of us need to be delivered over here because we have no self-esteem. We don't, we don't, we, our self-image is all wrong, and you need to have the right. So you see, there is a balance with all that. You, you can get way out of hand with the ego problem or pride, and then you can get way out of balance over here with your own self-esteem. You can, it can be too low, and that can be too high. So uh, you don't need pride, so we don't want to balance pride. We want to get rid of pride and make sure that that self-esteem level is at the right place. Uh, because, you know, uh, until you can love your neighbor, you know what else it says? As you love yourself. You have to love yourself. You'd be surprised how many people that I'm around that flat don't love themselves. They just don't love themselves. And I, I said, do you love yourself? Oh, I don't know. I said, well, you'd have to be the one to know. I said, do you... Do you well... Uh, there is a few things about me I don't like. I'm too tall, I'm too small, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too this, I'm too that. My hair's not blonde, it should have been, or it's not black, or it's not blue, it's not green. My eyes aren't this color, they aren't this, they don't love themselves. That's where you, you know, people, we've got this model that we look at as how you are to be in relationship to the world. And somehow we put that image. Now, we have studied, and we'll go back and, and do some more in-depth on that one of these days, but we have studied about self-images, about the image that you have to have of yourself and of God that has to be placed into your minds and into your spirit. Now, and there's some of us that bless God that, that just flat have the wrong image. We just have the flat. But we have, in the world, we have decided what the perfect woman looks like. Amen. How many here, how many men knows what the perfect woman looks like? Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. You've seen it on television. Surely, surely some of you are going to agree that we have seen on television. Well, she doesn't look like any of you today. She doesn't look like my precious, my wife. Wife, she doesn't look like her. Now, now what's wrong? Because you see, we have placed a fictitious image. Some of you gals couldn't weigh 98 pounds if you wanted to. Some of you, some of you gals, uh, the only way you could have blonde hair is to is to bleach it, or 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 maroon hair to bleach it if you want to get that out, you know. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. Have to have fingernails a certain length and a certain color. Eyelashes got to be this and they got to be that. The sun tanning machine has to be this and not that. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. So some of us are struggling to be something that we couldn't be, even if we tried to be. And that's the reason the Lord God said, huh, yes, you love yourself. You've got to look. You've got to remember something. God made us all. Amen? God created us all. He created us all. And if God wants something changed about you, God's big enough to tell you so you can change it. You don't have to have some preacher. You don't have to have somebody, some good-meaning Christian to come up and tell you, oh, you need, to, you need to change this or you need to change that, brother or sister. No, again, it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. That God, if you'll get in tune with God, God can tell you, God can show you, and we all need things changed in our lives. Let's face it. There's, again, there aren't any perfect Christians. There aren't any perfect churches. The fact of the matter is we're all striving. As Paul said, we're, we're, we're running the race. We're running the race, and that's what we're doing. We're going to finish the race. We're going to finish it. Now, Saul, that's who we're going to use here for a few minutes this morning, definitely had an ego problem. Now, I'm not going to... That's in 1 Samuel 15. Uh, if you haven't read this, uh, I'm going to tell most of the story, read about one or two verses maybe, but you, you, you definitely need to read all of it. Now, he elected, uh, he elected to erect a monument after this big battle, after winning this battle that he was put into, and he was given direction. He followed that direction. And they won the battle. But he disobeyed God's commandment. He was to kill all the enemies and all their cattle and burn all the possessions and get rid of everything. Now, that's what he was told to do. Now, Samuel the prophet confronted him. I mean, come right to him and confronted him. And uh, uh, 
Saul refused to admit his sin until God uh, uh, told through Saul that he was going to take away his kingship. I, I did a sermon one time. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I was going to do a sermon one time called Saul King for a Day. See, his kingship didn't last very long anyway, and it about got cut real short here. And so this thing with being the king got very important to Saul. So important at one point in time, he's going to try to put David to death over his jealousy, thinking that David was going to try to take over, take over the kingship. But anyway, uh, when, when God said, he said, I'm going to take away your kingship, all of a sudden old Saul, boy, he'd become repentant Charlie. I mean, he, I mean, he, he got right down. Well, yes, maybe, you know, maybe it is, maybe it is, maybe it is. Now, in verse 30, uh, let me, let's read that. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord thy God. Now, you can see where the problem was at. He quickly said, hmm, I sinned, I sinned, but what did he also do? He also said, uh, now listen, I, let, let's not let the people know. Let, let's kind of let's sweep this thing under the rug here just a little bit. And let, let's, let's not let the, you know, I've got to be head cheese with these people. And I'm only going to be head cheese with these people. They found out I'm sinned before God. So let's you and I go out here before the whole congregation of Israel and worship the Lord God. Now, Saul was obviously more concerned with his reputation than with his relationship to God. Now, that happens with a lot of preachers. We get more concerned with our reputations than our relationship with God. And i got news uh, uh, for you. The only thing that I can understand about ministry or being a preacher is that we're accountable uh, more so in the way that you would be as sitting here today as we are as watching over you, both in the Word and spiritually, that we will have to give account for that. I never did much care for that. Now, that was one of the things I think that I, I wrestled with the longest and argued with God about the longest was the fact that why should I have to be uh, responsible for all you? I had all I could do to worry about me and mine. I said, God, I, that's not fair. I said, it's just not fair if, if, if you want me to be a preacher, for me to be a preacher and have to be accountable for all them people. I said, I can't even be accountable for myself about half the time. How, why should I have to do that? Well, I never did get any answer except the fact that it's in the book. If you're called to, to minister, you, you might as well receive the call or you receive the stripes on that day. And uh, at one point in time, I thought it may be easier just to receive the stripes than it was to go ahead and be a, be a preacher. Um, but I, uh, I think that now at this point in time, I understand that those stripes are uh, probably not just exactly the kind of stripes that we get to thinking they are, that they, they may be a little more severe. So uh, in my case, I'm glad that I uh, received the, the call of God in my life and, and become obedient to it. Now, uh, when our weakness or sin is exposed, we can either admit it and repent from it and be cleansed and forgiven, or we can hide it and cling to our pride and fail. Pride will let you fail. Now, I'm going to ask you, or make this comment. A grand old man of God has always made a statement. There's no sense mentioning names because we're not here to glorify a name. We're here to glorify the Lord. That payday always comes with God. It'll always come under, under, through faith to righteousness or from sin unto death, and it'll always come. You're going to pay for your sin just as you're going to pay, be paid or given a reward by God through your walking according to the Word of God in righteousness. It's going to happen. The problem with sin is we sin and we think we get away with it. Hmm? We sin today and lightning doesn't strike. I mean, I have sinned and actually looked up. I thought, oh, dear God in heaven, here it comes. I know it. And it didn't. I go, maybe God was in the Bahamas. Huh? No, God's right here. That's, that's where the problem is, amen? He's right here. That's, that's, that's what most of us, or well, at least some of us haven't figured out, that He's not in the Bahamas. We didn't get away with it. We sinned. And because that we did sin, and we know that we're going to have to reap that which we have sown, see, that thing may not come to full blossom tomorrow. It may be six months. It may be six years. But as God is my witness, according to what I understand of this Bible, it's going to come in our lives. That's the reason and I, I'm going to do, hopefully, hopefully this Tuesday night, I'm going to be able to do a thing about the sin of our, our fathers. It's where I can teach you by the Word of God.
the importance of you not sinning to your children and what they're going to have to live in. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you by the Word of God. Uh, hopefully I can do that Tuesday night. So you want to come because that's going to, be a, going to be a good piece of ministry. So you can understand, when you sin, you're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting your children. And could even be your children's children right on down the line. Now, so Satan will always ask, what will they think of you? That's the thing. And again, I'm not trying to, by no means, trying to judge or point fingers at anything that's happened. I'm just using it for an example nationally that you can understand. And I can imagine those men. Uh, the devil said, well, what do they think of you? That'll destroy your ministry. But the thing that they didn't understand is that ministry was already destroyed. In the spirit, it was already destroyed. You'll hear me say, yeah, you've got, it ha- when it happens in the spirit, the flesh shall follow. Whether again, whether it happens uh, uh, out of darkness or out of light, the flesh will follow. It'll, it'll end up, it's got a, that's the reason the battle, that's the reason it goes back to what God was trying to teach. It's not the might, and it's not the power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. When you learn to battle in the spirit realm through fasting and through prayer on your face before God and beat the problem there on your knees, on your face before God, the rest of it will come in line. And if you're not willing to do that, you're going to, have, you're going, you're, you're going to go through life. You're going to go through your Christian walk just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, wrestling back and forth and wondering what in the world's going on. But the devil will always come up and say, What will they think of you? What will they think of you? What will they think of you? I heard a, a grand old man of God make this statement one time. He said, Pastors, preachers in general, need once a year to get behind the pulpit and admit something they did wrong. Once a year. And I've never forgotten it. I believe it's the truth. I have tried, and we have desperately, within the ministry, but more than tried, we have done it, but within all the ministry of both these churches, if there's something wrong, we straighten it out from behind the pulpit. I would rather straighten it out from behind the pulpit and stay right in the eyes of God and be in the will of God than to spend the rest of my life wandering around and, and, uh, and then uh, have a mess somewhere down the line anywhere. It's easier not to sweep things under the, under the rug if, in fact, you'll get it and beat it right there on the spot. But any time you try to beat it, the devil's going to whisper in your ear and say, Oh, what do they think of you? That'll destroy. That will, that will destroy. That will destroy a church. And I'll uh, give you an example right quick because I have time to do that this morning. When I first started ministering, I could never figure out this thing about prophesying, uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues, when it should come in a service. I couldn't read or understand in the spirit well enough or discern is actually the right word well enough at that point in time to know. And I got in a service, and, and, and uh, I, all of a sudden, a woman gave the tongue. And everybody got quiet, and boy, I, just, I, knew, it, I knew that was God. Just something inside me. I just, I, just, I just knew it was God. I didn't know by, by the Spirit. I just, I, 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 somehow I could understand in myself. I could, I could agree in my spirit. And so uh, it was over, and, and I'm behind the pulpit. Now, I was at a church ministering as an evangelist. And I'm standing there behind the pulpit, and I've got my eyes closed, and I said, now somebody yield, the, yield to the interpretation of that. And now, folks, I don't know whether you wouldn't understand if we all just was sat here silent for ten minutes. It would seem like an hour, all right? It would seem like an hour. Ten minutes went by, and I'm peeking out of my eye trying to see who it was that was supposed to, given the interpretation of that time. Everybody just sat there with their eyes closed. I said... Please, we, we, we need to continue this service. Uh, I don't have the interpretation. Uh, in fact, I always told God, I said, Lord, miracles and healings. I said, if I'm going to covet something, and it tells us we're to covet the better gifts in 1 Corinthians in the 12th chapter, I said, I'll covet uh, miracles and healings. I said, that prophesying and tongues interpretation. I said, eh, I don't need any of that. I said, let somebody else do that part. I just But it's the miracles and the healings. I said, I'll, I'll be for that. Well, it all came, you know, it all came full blossom that day or that night in service. And, and so anyway, uh, there was another, an elderly preacher in the back, and he was sitting back behind this lady, and he goes, over this woman's head, I'm going. I looked a little bit, and I go, uh, it's a sister. I said, it's a sister. Now, that, I said, that eliminates part of us. I said, now, sister, here, you go ahead and yield. Here, go ahead. Well, two or three more minutes went by, and she didn't. I thought, 
Dear God in heaven, what am I going to do? I'm in a pickle. You know, I mean, I had one of the finest messages God ever gave me, ready to preach. And this thing was going right, I mean, it was going right down, right down a hill. So I go back there, and I said, I said, Sister, and I go, yes, it is, isn't it? And I go, that preacher back there, and he goes, you know, I mean, he didn't want anything. I mean, he, you know, he, he spiritually he knew, but he or thought he did, and I took what he thought he knew, and, and I says, go ahead and just start. God give you. She said, I said, sister, you don't understand. You're quenching my whole service here. I said, just do something. She said, I can't do nothing, brother. She said, I don't have that. I said, yes, you do. She said, no, I don't. I said, yes, you do. She said, no, I don't. I said, you do? She said, I don't. I said, are you sure? I got a ball. I was going, please, sister, inside of myself, get up and say something. I didn't care what she did. She could have gone, got up and said, hallelujah, and sat down. And I said, oh, praise God. She didn't do nothing. So I went back up and I got behind the pulpit. I thought, dear God in heaven, something's got to happen. I said, God, something's got I said, this run it, this run the message, something's gotta happen. And all of a sudden I come on me, I thought, I'll I'll do it. I'll do it. I can do it. God let me do it. I just stepped out the side and I said, Thus saith the mouth of God, and I started rattling off. Now I got done and went back and I said, Now, let's glorify the Lord. There he glorified the Lord. The message went straight on down the hill, with enough anointing there to even might as well have been fishing. And got done and got back in the motel room, and I knew, I, I mean, I knew something was wrong, and I pretty well knew what it was. I done made that thing up. I thought it was God. See, I, I thought, if I got in the motel room, and, and the Lord said, well, he said, you know, he said, that wasn't for you to give. He said, that wasn't for you to give. And he said, you didn't give it right. He said, you missed me. And he said, you, that's when God began to show me the importance of the anointing. Now, we're going to get into some more study about that here uh, in, in the weeks to come. But God, that was the first, the first indication that I had of how important it is to never move the anointing in a service. Once God sets it, man don't set the anointing. God sets the anointing. Once the anointing becomes set in a service, you've got to flow with it for God to get everything done that he wants to do, not what you and I want to do. You and I want to get to doing things. Well, i got news for you. God knows what He wants to do here today. And if I can ask the authority, and by the way, the authority is behind the pulpit. It's not there in the congregation. And if I, if I can follow the leadership, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then God can do everything that He wants to do in every heart and every mind and every body in this room today. And if I don't, somebody's going to get cheated uh, from receiving. And the Lord, I said, oh, God, I repent. I said, I, oh, God, I said, I do. You know my heart. I said, God, I'd do anything to be right before you. And he said, I know you would, son. He said, tomorrow night before you minister, uh, tell him you was wrong. I said, oh, God. Oh, I'm, I felt I knew what Samuel was going. I hadn't even read this about Samuel and that taking to heart at that time. Okay, this came later. I go, oh God, that, I said, God, that's too hard. I said, those people will not respect me. He said, son, they're not there to respect you anyway. They're they're there to uh, to give honor and glory to me. He said, it's my word that you're preaching anyway, isn't it? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, all you got to do tomorrow night before service is just just uh, go repent to those people. See, sometimes repenting to God isn't enough. People say, oh, yeah, it is. Well, you, you, that's first. But it also, there's other repentances that have to come from time to time. Uh, deliverance comes in a lot of different ways in all of our lives. And that next night, I got one that I'd never forget. I got up there. I was, I was nervous. As I, I was so nervous I couldn't even sit in that chair. I had one of them big old chairs in the back. You know, one of them stuffed chairs. I was sitting in that thing. I was just... One side, the other side. I just, I mean, that, that pastor says, Brother Decker, you all right? I said, yeah, I'll be all right here in a little bit. And I thought, boy, the minute I announce this, oh, man, the minute I announce this, I'm telling you. I'm, and see, old devil, see, that's the reason I put that down there. That devil always say, what do they think of you? And I think, oh, they're going to think, they're going to think of me. They're going to rock me. There'll be a headline in that newspaper the next morning, um, the traveling evangelist stoned in parking lot for lying. 
Hey, thank you again so much. That's Prophet Tom Deckard, Mount Carmel, Illinois, Cradle of Hope Ministries. Again, you can get more information out at the website, www.jewishprophet.com. Get out there, do yourself a favor, find out what's going on here, and you won't be disappointed. So, again, you can also get more. All the tape series is out there on the website for you to get a hold of. I greatly encourage you to get all that. You can also email your prayer request to cradle at jewishprophet.com. Again, that's cradle at jewishprophet.com. Shalom. Until next week, 